Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, Hey, every once in a while, I am a preacher and I love preaching. I feel like I've gotten a little better at it through the years. And uh, as with any profession, you you begin to recognize something that's beyond training, beyond hermeneutics. And several years I kept saying this ago, and I realized that every time I said it, other people kind of went, ooh. But I got to tell you, I'm old enough now that I really don't care. Um, I, I just, I love you, but I really don't care. And, and I d- never mean it offensively to anybody else, but there are people that are just preachers, preachers. I mean, anybody know who Bishop Jakes is? Bishop Jakes, just a preacher's preacher. I, I mean, if a bug flies in a room, he going to preach about the bug. I, he just drop a hat and he preach. As a preacher, you recognize that anointing and you recognize that gift. My daughter is a preacher's preacher. You can hand her a verse, give her a topic, and she'll riff on it. And, uh, and she gets done that, and you can hand her another one, and she'll just riff on that. The problem is her and I get in the same room. We just riff with each other, you know, and everybody else is going to shut up. Uh, but uh, when, when I got to thinking about Mother's Day, first time in 35 years I've not preached on Mother's Day, and I got to wondering what it would be like to have a mother talk to you on Mother's Day. And uh, I, I sat through her first sermon. You are in for a ride. Uh, I, I, I hope it is going to be fun. It, you know, it's good. I promise you. So it is with a huge honor that I introduce my daughter, a preacher's preacher. No pressure on that one. You don't put T.D. Jakes out there and then say, you. Okay, well, here we go. It is typically a ride. Here's the deal. I don't get allowed to do um, video announcements very often or really talk often because they want to put a word count on me. So if you were uh, standing outside, I get it naturally, if you haven't noticed. Um, If you were standing out waiting to get in for second service, that was all my fault. So I'm somewhat sorry, not really sorry, because I'm not normally that sorry. But um, I was um, excited about preaching. Technically, my dad and my husband thought, what a great idea. Let's make a mom work on Mother's Day. (laughs) Sounded like a great idea. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, I'll preach on Father's Day and tell all the dads what to do. (laughs) Why do I got to preach on Mother's Day? But um, I was pretty excited about doing it, and so... uh, I'm going to share a couple things with you this morning. I am the product of lots of women in my life. Um, One being my, obviously, biological mother. She is my biological mother. Even if she tells you differently, she gave birth to me. (laughs) And though there are, I have a lot of tendencies, like my father, I have a lot more like my mother. Um, The most important is, as much as my dad talks here, um, if he's talking about, if he's preaching, he got a lot to say. Other than that, he doesn't really have a lot to say. Shocker. I know that's a really shocking concept if you spend any time with him. Like you say hello when it's a 35-minute conversation. Mark Irvin won't even let his wife come in the building if he sees my car or my dad's car because he knows he's going to have to use a blow dart and drag Stephanie out the back door. Not just because we talk. She got the same problem we got. But he doesn't have a lot. Like if you came to family dinner... My dad is not the one talking. My mom, on the other hand, which may be shocking to most of you because she speaks never here, 
has all kinds of things to say. And um, if she doesn't say it with her mouth, she says it with her face. (laughs) You never questioned where you stood with my mother. It was always very cut and dry. It was very black and white. It didn't need a lot of words, but you knew exactly what mom thought about a situation in a very short period of time. And if she did not use her, she's learned, I think, in older age with adult children, she doesn't always say the words. Her face says them. And um, I have gotten that um, directly from my mother and um, her grandson that's sitting beside her has all the same traits. If you don't get to hang out with Zeke much, you should just see his facial expressions because they're, they're pretty much the great <clears throat> thing ever. But I was getting ready for today and the question came to my mind. And this is the question I have that this is an equals opportunity uh, sermon. So men, don't worry, I'm a, you, you'll get to, you'll relate to some things, not all, but you'll relate to some. Um, But here's the question I have for you. Has there ever been a moment in your life when reality and expectation did not line up? (laughs) Any of you ever experienced that? I gotta be honest with you, and my son's in the room, so Zeke, don't hold this against me. Like my mother always said, grow up, make a lot of money, and you can pay for your therapy. I got a crazy doctor, ain't nothing wrong with a crazy doctor. I like my crazy doctor. You should, if you don't like yours, you should get a new one. But anyways, that's just a soapbox. Um, motherhood has been the greatest disappointment of my life. It's okay, moms. It's okay if internally you're going, I, I feel you, but I don't want to say amen because it feels like that's a wrong thing to say on Mother's Day. Don't get me wrong. It's the most amazing experience of my life. But the expectation that I had of motherhood has not lined up with the reality of motherhood. I'm gonna use a few pictures to describe this. What I thought my nursery home would look like and what it looks like. When I begged my child to say mom, and now I wish they would lose it out of their vocabulary. Henley will say mom 900 times and I'm not even over-exaggerating and then forget what he was going to say to me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Or when I wanted them to like tell me about their lives. Mm -mm. No, I don't need any more of this story. Literally, no more of this story. Zeke, I love Zeke, but Zeke's storytelling abilities, he needs work, guys. They're so long. And they cover details that are unimportant. And there's a lot of squirrel chasing, isn't there? You get sidetracked a lot. Um, What about when you would see pictures of like other kids's, like other kids, and then your kids? My kids, like my house is like a WWE wrestling match at all moments, and my husband is right in the middle of it. Like, it's 25 minutes to bedtime, and Sean thinks this is the time. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if your kids like sit quietly, like when you do family pictures and you're like, oh my God, I love your family pictures. I almost murdered them. <laughs> all of them from 18 to three, all of them. Our last ones, um, I think it took us 42 minutes to do family pictures and for 41 of them, Hoxton cried. I, in fact, I put a picture wall in his room to remind him because they're all of him screaming his head off. When I wanted a house full of kids and now all I can dream about is leaving. (laughs) Sean asked me what I wanted for Mother's Day and I was like, a bathroom break by myself. (laughs) What what is that? 
I sent a meme to some of my close friends that said, here's what you do not get, Sean, on Mother's Day. You don't get the bathroom vacation that you men take. That 45-minute experience that happens. Oh, yeah, you came to a real church this morning. This is why I get to show back with the kids. Because men have the ability to take bathroom breaks, and they're gone forever. I have five kids and at least an animal that come in when I go to the bathroom. So could I just get a bathroom break for Mother's Day? I don't need... Okay. This one may be pushing it, but it kind of fits some of my life. When people tell you your kids are an angel and you're like, so was Lucifer. <laughs> I mean, is that really a high standard, guys? Because I love these human beings, but if you were my friend, I would kick you out of my house. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't talk to you ever again. I, I wouldn't like you. They're the worst roommates ever known to man. And then there's this horrible lie that every mother tells you that it's gonna get easier. No, it's not. Well, you lie, lie like a rug. So as amazing as this is, and there's some really great moments. Normally when they're asleep, those are fantastic moments. They're so pretty and precious and quiet. There's moments that are amazing. But for the most part, nobody, no, you all need a friend like Shelby Dryden, though, because Shelby Dryden, she did, she told me, she's like, listen, there's gonna be moments. You love them, but you're like, why did I do this? I signed up for it voluntarily four times. Every time I hit three, I go, I, why did, what? I knew this was gonna happen. Why did I think I would do it better the next time? I'm not in charge of my house. How many parents just know I have officially decided I am literally not in charge of my house. Adults mean nothing. It means nothing in my house. Hampton likes to tell me that often. But I feel like that that happens a lot to us. And that space between expectation and reality has an ability to really breed some disappointment. If you're not careful, it can really breed some resentment maybe even some bitterness. It begins to limit certain things. And I think we can apply that to marriage. Any of you, do you really wish you would have been told a few more things about marriage before you made that decision? It's okay, don't raise your hand. It's okay, I feel you. I got you. What about that new job? You thought it was just gonna be, it was gonna be the perfect job. I, that makes me giggle. This is why I like to talk to teenagers, because teenagers are like, oh, when I grow up and I can be an adult, when I'm 18, it's gonna be awesome. I'm like, ha, let me know how that's going for you, because adulting is not great. I would move back into my mom's house right now. Literally right now, actually. <laughs> I keep trying to get Lauren Ray to rent out her basement to moms, because I'm like, you'd make a killing. I just wanna sit in silence. So I'll pay money to rent out your basement if you won't talk to me. And can I drink my own drink and you not drink it, because I don't want floaties in it, and I don't wanna share my food with you. I'm, see, the expectation of motherhood and the reality of motherhood, I, this, isn't, this isn't making all you moms feel warm and cozy inside. I'm real sorry, but it's the truth. It's different. You see, the problem wasn't motherhood. The problem wasn't the kids I had. Well, if I just had those kids, if I just had that husband, if I had just had that job, or if I just had that vehicle, or if I just had that house, or if I just had that, that would make this easy. See, no, no, no. The difference between my expectations and my reality had nothing to do necessarily with any external forces. It had to do with this internal thing. And most of the time, what it really had to do with was 
my ego I had attached to it. How I thought my kids would look and act. I swore my little brother wore shorts and cowboy boots everywhere and I was so disgusted with my mother and I was like, I will never allow my children to wear cowboy boots with shorts. I don't even care if they have the same shoes on today. I'm like, you got shoes on? Let's go. (laughs) And you think I'm joking. My kids have come to daycare with two different shoes on. I do not care. If they have clothes on, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care if they're wrinkled. You're dressed. But I can remember thinking all of these things because I thought that the way my kids presented themselves was somehow a reflection of what kind of mother I was. I thought that the way my kids acted, you know that moment where you like act like you actually listen to me? <laughs> pretend like you do. Because I thought the way they acted determined how good of a mom I was. And what I've realized is I've had to release my own ego, my own expectations of what I've put on them and the limits I've put on them and realize that I am literally just here to create an atmosphere where this kid can be developed into who God created them to be, not who I wanted them to be. We could actually pack up and go home because that's kind of freeing for moms because then it's like, well, if they get screwed up, it's actually God's fault. (laughs) I mean, I did my best. The Bible said if you train them up in the way they should go, they won't depart from them. So I'm just believing God that at some point, listen, if your your kids are like 60-something, you probably should have helped more. But... This is not a parenting seminar because I'm not doing parenting seminars because more than likely God will think it's funny to play a joke on me if I try to tell you how to parent. So one day, maybe I'll talk about parenting, but not today. You see, all through scripture, you can find story after story of people whose expectations of what God wanted to do in their life and the reality of how God worked it out. It was a little disappointing. There was a difference between what they thought it was gonna look like and what happened was they ended up limiting God in their lives. Sometimes when we place, there's a difference between having an expectation that God's going to show up and praying for a specific outcome. We've interchanged the words expectation for outcome. I don't need to pray for that outcome because the truth of the matter is the Bible says he's going to give me more than I could ever think ask or imagine. So even the outcome I prayed for, it's actually gonna be better than what I could have thought. And so if I could just surrender this inner ego that it is my way, I know y'all get mad at them two-year-olds that throw themselves on the floor because they want it my way, I just want you to know at 22 and 42, it's really not that cute. And we all have it. We do, we do, we all have that inner, I want it my way. You do it in your marriages, you do it at your job, you do it with God, Mm -hmm. your will be done. But can I give you a few pointers? So if you did it this way, this way, and this way, I think it would work out really great, God. That inner desire to control the outcome. So I thought of several women in the Bible I could talk about. There's some really great ones. There's Sarah. I felt like I could preach this on Father's Day if they'd let me. I don't think they will because I said this in first service because so Abraham got a promise from God and Sarah had to sacrifice her figure to give her husband the promise from God. First of all, men realize you need your wife to make the promise. Okay, no, that's probably not theological accurate. But anyways, or I got to sacrifice for your gifts. These are not, I could create marriage issues, I think, with that story. But um, Ruth, Naomi, Esther, 
Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus. There are so many amazing women in the Bible that helped further. I just want to point out who the first people were that noticed Jesus was alive and when told was not a man. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a man. Um, there's lots of things, but this is equals opportunity. We'll save that for like a women's retreat or something, and we'll talk about how great women are. Um, but anyways, women did amazing things. And there's something about a woman and revealing certain characteristics of God that is very beautiful. But I thought I would um, actually use a female that most of us really wouldn't want because she's not a really great picture of like the pillar of womanhood, and that would be Eve. Um, Eve had a job, just one, one job, one job. The, Eve did not have um, a load of laundry to do. Eve had no dishes piling in the sink. Eve didn't have to feed anybody in her family. She didn't have to take them anywhere. There was not a calendar thing that she had to do. She had to go sit an hour's worth of baseball. Like there was nothing Eve actually had to do but not eat that fruit. That was it. That was her one job. I would really like, I didn't really have an issue with Eve terribly bad until um, my third child. Because my first child, I was first time mom, I didn't know better. So 27 hours labor, I'm sure some of you have had um, much harder child birthing experiences, and I didn't know Hamptons was bad because I didn't know any differently. And then I had Hezekiah, and I was like, oh, this is like really easy, I could do this like nine times over. And then I had my big hearted words of affirmation, super funny 10 pound, two ounce, big headed Henley. That boy's still got a big head. He's yet to grow into it. I tell him all the time, I'm like, you must have a really big brain because your head is massive. If you read in Genesis, when Eve went and ate that juicy little fruit over there on the tree, the response from God was now childbirthing was going to be hard. How good is that fruit? Any of you want to get to heaven and ask Eve, how good was that fruit? I love me some good fruit. There ain't a piece of fruit that's worth 27 hours labor, my friends. Not one. It ain't that good. I like to eat. It's not even that good. Like, I just want to know why, why, why did you have to make this hard on everybody else? And then I had to realize and come to terms with the fact that there's a shady little Eve living down on the inside of me. That shady little Eve that wants it her way, that isn't really satisfied with what she has, but thinks there's something else she needs that will possibly make her better than what she is today. And so she reaches outside of herself and takes for her what was not hers because I can do it on my own. I know there, is, there are a lot of holy women in here, so we don't try to do things on our own or try to manipulate God or pray for certain outcomes or anything like that because we're very holy people. But I think in general, maybe there's women out there that have this issue. And so I, I just want to speak to the Eves that live, and this is not just for females. Right, men, you selfish too. Mm-hmm. You are. I'm married to one. I'm raising some. They selfish. It's that self-centered, I've got to do this my way, lives on the inside of us. And I feel like there are some things we can learn from Eve on just understanding that if I could just get beyond wanting to do things on my own and maybe trust the fact that there's a God who provides all of my needs according to his riches that are in glory, then maybe I don't have to work so hard 
to change the current circumstances of my life. But could I be more like a Sarah who waits? That in the midst of all of the stories you'll read in this Bible, regardless of their gender, she'll find character after character where a promise of God was spoken into someone's life and it created a big moment of waiting. We get really frustrated with our children because they have no patience. We, humanity, (laughs) has no patience. We want it in our time. So we lose access in these moments, these self-centered moments. I call them Eve casket-like moments. These moments where when we reach out and do it and then we realize, ugh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, we see that something has shifted inside of us. Something's changed. See, when pain touches you, it seemingly changes you. When you go through traumas, and trials and tribulations, it changes you. And sometimes, if not in a healthy environment, what we tend to do is we tend to shove them down. Very much like you would bury a casket six feet under. We just sort of shove it down. Because if it's just down there, it won't, it'll just stay down there. And we think things only grow if there's light, but the truth of the matter is, a lot of things grow in darkness. They're just toxic to us. And so we shove these things down there and then we begin to tell ourselves narratives about those experiences, whether those experiences were by our choice and by our doing, like they were with Eve, or simply just maybe someone did them to us. Those things begin to to shift in us and they begin to breed these narratives in our minds that turn into curses. We begin to curse ourselves. We begin to curse what life could look like. We begin to limit what God could do because our expectation of what we thought God was gonna do or what life was going to look like doesn't match up with our reality and so now all of a sudden, I must just bury that dream down. I must just forget about that because this was robbed for me or this was taken or I made this choice so now I can't have this and now I can't have that and so we just sort of shove it down and we begin to tell ourselves a story that curses our life. See, we don't have to worry. God's not cursing us. We're cursing ourselves. That verse, no weapon formed you shall stand or prosper. We create the weapons in our minds. We form them in our own minds and defeat ourselves by the stories that we tell ourselves. You see, I was told a story as a kid. I was told a story about Grandma Jessie and Grandpa Noah. I was told stories about Grandpa Mansell and their perseverance and the, what it took to keep a faith It wasn't about all of the things they had, but it was about a faith that they had that they continued to pass down after generation and generation. You see, we pass stories to our children and to our children's children. I just ask, what story are you giving to them? As lighthearted as I can make sometimes motherhood to be, I want my children to understand that one of the greatest things in my life was becoming a mother not because they dressed a certain way or they performed a certain way, but because God allowed things that had been prayed for in generation after generation after generation that I could pass on to this generation. And it wasn't whether they could play a good sport or whether they could achieve a certain grade, but it was who they are. You see, Eve lost 
the image of who she was. In the garden with no stress, she lost the image of who she was and who she belonged to and made choices for that reason that created long-standing issues for most of us. We've settled that. But in the middle of those choices, if you go to Genesis chapter three, verses 15, it says that God spoke to the woman and to the serpent and he cursed the serpent and told the serpent that he would go on his belly. And he looked at the woman and said, "Uh, child rearing, that's gonna suck. And uh, it's gonna be a little hard on you and your husband and all of these. So he, he says, because of your choices, there have been some consequences. But in the midst of those moments, God speaks the hope of the cross right there in that moment. Because he says to, to, uh, uh, to Eve, your seed, your offspring, that thing that lays dormant on the inside of you that you haven't even seen come to pass, that thing there, though your heel will be bruised, bruised heels can crush the heads of serpents. You see, if you go all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, it's like this hall of fame of all these great people in the Bible and all this stuff they do. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says they, did, they died before they saw the promise come to pass in their generation. You see, it wasn't about whether or not Eve got what she wanted in this lifetime. But what Eve did was she even in her own mistakes surrendered to what God was speaking in her life, which was a hope of a promise that would to come. And she never saw it come to pass in her time. But her children's 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 continue to pass along the story of the hope of the cross of a Christ who would show up in the life and not just redeem Eve's story but would redeem the stories of all of mankind you see church it's not just about whether or not my kids perform and everyone thinks I'm a good mom and I can put up this really great picture on Facebook that shows I'm a really good mom because I need to prove to everybody I'm actually a really good mom so you actually think I'm a good mom maybe you won't call DCF because I'm a really good mom but actually It's about what is God doing on the inside of me and have I lost the image of who God is on my life that that is the goal that I'm to pass to my children. I'm not supposed to imprint him with my image, my expectations. My job as his mom is to look at him and say, when God created you, Hezekiah, he created you in in this womb. And he put a plan and a purpose on you. And the Bible says that his word would not return void. So no matter what mistakes you make, Hezekiah, I want you to understand, mom may get sad, mom may get mad, mom may get happy, but I want you to know that my feelings in this moment never alter the love that I have for you. And it for sure does never alter the love that God has for you. That is what mothers do. Love changes everything. It's not my correction of them. It's not my critique of them. It's not how well I dress them up for family pictures. The only thing that matters is this gift of love that passes from generation to generation. Eve had to learn that. The second female I want to tell you 
about today that I think we can learn, I didn't get to share about her in first service, was a little girl in the book of Mark chapter five. And the story goes that Jairus comes to Jesus and um, is telling him, my, my daughter is sick. I really need you to come and heal her. And um, in the midst of that, Jesus gets interrupted and he keeps healing other people. In fact, the woman with the issue of blood gets healed right there in that scripture. And while he's waiting for Jesus to finish doing very good things, his daughter dies. Sometimes I wonder if as women, it's not so much that we've just let things get buried, that we've allowed the, the story we tell ourselves to limit what God could do in our lives, but that we've just sort of allowed hopes and dreams of ours to fade away in the busyness of caring for other people. That while good things were taking place, we just kept doing all those things and we forgot to foster the dreams that God gave us. I wanna encourage some of you today that some of you need to wake up that 12-year-old little girl that lays down on the inside of you, that you thought because of your mistakes, you thought because of your failures, you thought because, well, now I got these kids, so now I gotta raise these kids because I gotta do that because I can't do this. I just wanna encourage you that for all those little girls that live down on the inside of you, that it's never too late. That whatever God promised you, he will bring it to pass. And that you do not have to sit and wait and just give up. Jairus did not give up. Jairus said, yeah, 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 I heard you. She did. Mm -hmm. The good thing is, he's the God of resurrection power too. (laughs) Healing is cool, but when you see a dead person come back to life, I have not seen this yet in my life, but if if that happens, that's a pretty big deal. I've seen hands grow back. I've seen feet straighten up that shouldn't be straightened up. I watched a demon-possessed guy in Roca Blanca, Mexico, and I was like, I believe in Jesus because I saw that. I haven't seen a dead person come back to life. I've been told of a story that a guy that died in a chair sprung up in the middle of the funeral, but he didn't come back to life. Um, But anyways, that's another story. But Jairus didn't give up in that moment. He said, that's okay, this guy... This guy can show up and breathe life back inside. And guess what happened? When he did that, he got to the house and he limited who could come in the room with him, Jesus did. And then he looked at them, because then he kicked those people out. It's too long for me to go into this. I should really be allowed to preach more than once a year. (sighs) This is why I'm on a word count, people. Because I got too much to say. But anyway, so he heals the little girl and he says to her, don't go tell anybody. You saw a dead person come back to life and Jesus said, don't go tell nobody. But this would have been like the greatest witness to all of mankind. Well, they told somebody because it ended up in the book. So I'm just saying, somebody broke the rules. But anyways, he told him not to go. You want to know why? Because sometimes, moms, the things that are coming back into your life are for your family. Your daughters need to see those dreams rise back up. Your Your sisters need to see that addiction does not have to be a generational thing. That the curse of our family stories that we have said, well, you were, I was an addict and your grandma was an addict, so you're going to be an addict. No, 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 no. 
Those generational curses do not come from God, they come from our own silly mouths. You need to raise up that little 12-year-old girl on the inside of you and say, wait a second, that's not dead, there is still life in here. I don't have to just, res- I don't care if you're a grandma, there is still things that, the bi- that God can do through you in your family. Every story I have is about two great-grandmothers, one of which I don't even remember, but she is so vivid in my memory because my father would sit around the table and tell a story after story after story about how they would pray and fast and believe God for the people in their lives. So when I get stressed out at home, I just start praying. And I start, I, have, I don't really wear aprons. I don't even, I just think they're cute, so I buy them and hang them on the wall because they're kind of decorative. But if I really need Jesus, I tie on an apron because my great-grandma Jessie would walk around in the kitchen and she would twist an apron. And that's all I knew to do. Some of you, your daughters, your children, or their friends need to see a mama standing in the kitchen going, listen, God, I don't know how we're gonna put food on this table. I don't know what I'm gonna do with this child. I'm gonna kill him. I'm literally going to kill him. But Jesus, you take the wheel because if I take the wheel, we're gonna crash. You've got to find a way that all of those kids that run in inside of your house... You're mothering them. You're witnessing to them. I don't care if you gave birth to everybody in your life. Some of them are grown adults that didn't have a mom, that didn't have a dad who sat at a table and told them story after story after story. They don't have the stories I have about grandparents who prayed things into existence. You have to give them your story. You wanna know why you need to come to church? Because you need to get somebody else's story because your story sucks. So just get adopted by somebody else and let them be your story. Say, listen, if he got it, I can get it because I was adopted in to the family of God. So your story is my story and your success is my success. And we together as the body of believers of Christ can rise up those dead things that can live. Okay, I gotta keep moving. There's one more woman. This is my problem. Me and notes are not friends. He says, I, like, I should really go to school to learn how to do this. Second Kings. I'm not gonna use my notes, let's be honest. Second Kings chapter eight. I don't know how to say her name. The Shumite, Shemanite, Shemanite. This is a Shu woman. The show woman, she, the showy, she was a showy woman. This is who she was. You're welcome. I don't know how to say it, so we're just going to whirl with it. This is the version of Heather Faulkner. I'll write a Bible someday. Anyways, Second Kings chapter eight. This woman, um, she had she has a long story with the prophet Elisha. Back in chapter four, she made a space in her home, built a room for the prophet Elisha to come. She took care of him, Prophet Elisha said, what could I do for you? I just wanna, I wanna pay you back. She said, no, 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 I'm good, I got, I got everything I need. I don't need anything. And this woman, um, several chapters later in chapter eight, has left her homeland because Elijah had looked at her and said, there's a famine coming and you need to go. So back in chapter four, she just builds room, not because she's asked, but because she wants to invite the presence of God, the man of God, into the home so she can take care of him. And so she does that and she has everything that she needs. And now in chapter eight, the same prophet looks at her and says, you need to go. I don't know where you go. In fact, if you, it, it literally says in the scriptures, anywhere. Just go anywhere, just not here. You should not stay here. It's not good, go. She goes to the lands of the Philistines. If you don't know these stories, come back to Children's Church, I'll fill you in. We don't have enough time for it. We'll do flannel boards, be a thing. But anyways, 
Philistines, not good people, okay? You don't want to go to the Philistine land, okay? Just know that. It's a bad place. So she lives there for seven years, comes home, and has nothing. She obeyed God, gave to God when not asked, and has nothing. Well, I get why Jonah, he should have been eaten by a fish and spit out. He didn't listen. Have you ever felt that way as a Christian? Well, they didn't obey God. They got what they deserved. <laughs> they should have learned more. Mm-mm, no, okay. So this woman will tell you, don't get, too, don't get real arrogant in your faith. Okay, okay. Just stay humble. See, the truth of the matter is, even when I do everything I'm supposed to do, I'm standing here with nothing. Let me insert some extra pieces to this woman's story. So when Elisha asked if I could do anything, and she said, no, 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 I'm good. I got everything I need. I don't need anything. He started asking around, and they said, well, she's never had children. So he looks at the woman, and he says, by this time next year, you're going to hold a son in your arms. And she does this. If you had gotten it, she goes, nope, 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 don't lie to me. You can read this in the Bible. This is a little extra commentary, but it's fine. He can fix it next week. Anyways, she pushes away the promise of God. Nope, don't you lie to me. I wonder if some of us have allowed those dreams to die on the inside of us and to even imagine that God would do them. The pain that that brings. What if he doesn't actually? I believed a long time and I finally just resolved myself and said, you know what, God, you've given me enough. I'm good. I can still worship you. I don't need that dream. It's fine. Maybe that was just selfish desire. And we had just allowed and we're like, mm, nope, don't even speak it. Don't even speak it. I don't even want to hear it. But the dream does come to pass. And then the son dies. <sighs> Do you ever have moments in your life where you're like, God, we really need to talk when I get to heaven. Remember, expectations, reality, a lot of disappointment in between. I feel like this woman has a really good reason to be a little frustrated with God's timing. I'd give her a pass if there was just a little brief introduction of how bitter she got, how mad she got. She made a little Facebook post of how upset she was with God. I think it would be okay. She could have a moment of humanity. So she stands now, seven years later, with the son beside her who died, but then was restored to life. So this promise is answered, a promise I didn't ask for, I'd given up on, I had let die, that God gave me anyways, and then it died, and then was restored again. Now I'm standing because everything I had back there that I said I didn't need anything, now I'm standing here saying, well now I need it all back. This is what the king asked her. The sequence I think is very important. The king says, tell me what God did for you. She had every opportunity to rehearse whatever story she wanted to rehearse in that moment. But the Bible says that the woman stood there and she rehearsed the redemptive, restorative story that God had done in her life. That here he showed up and he, she is standing beside a promise knowing you will have to fulfill God's promise in my life because God was faithful to me here and God was faithful to me there. And see, when you really get into the book of Psalms and you watch David say, you were faithful to me with the lion and with the bear. See, nobody was there. Nobody got to celebrate David when he fought the lion and the bear. The first time he showed up on the scene was when he fought Goliath. But let me tell 
tell you, there were naysayers around him saying, don't you worry about it, you can't do this. But David said, no, 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 you were faithful to me there and you were faithful to me today and I don't need all this other stuff because you were faithful to me with the two things I had in my hand. So I don't care if all you have is a ringing apron that you can pray yourself into happiness. I want to tell you women that whether you've allowed things to die on the inside of you, whether you've just given up all hope, that there is a God that comes to restore, redeem, and set new. And it may not, you may not see it happen in your lifetime, but I promise you that I've got a grandma, Jesse, who is running in heaven today because she's looking down on generation after generation after generation and saying, look, look what my prayers produced in the lives of the people that came after me. You, God was faithful to Abraham and he was faithful to Moses and he will be faithful to Victoria and he will be faithful to Dale and he will be faithful to Ashley because we were grafted into a family. And whether you have been mothered by your biological mother or mothered by someone else, I promise you, you will be mothered and fathered into a faith that will change your story. So happy Mother's Day. I believe deeply that the only response that is needed of us is to simply stand and wait on the Lord. That sounds really pretty. Some of you may have a really cool graphic tee that says it. Or maybe your walls shout at you because you go to Hobby Lobby too much. But that verse, those that wait upon the Lord, their strength will be renewed. When you actually are in the waiting, it sucks. It is not pretty. My prayers are not pretty. I remember carrying a child and for nine months, it just did not give us good news. And I just remember thinking, God, this waiting really sucks, and yet I knew every day, they kept setting me like target dates. If you could get to this date, that would be better. And then if you could get to this date. In that experience of my life, every week I waited, those seven days, well first of all, if you're pregnant, every week is really long, really long. And every month is one month too long. With that pregnancy, I just remember, okay God, get me to that week. I just would set little targets, get me to that week. Because the waiting allowed for the seed that was on the inside of me to grow and develop and that his chance of survival was longer and higher if that thing stayed on the inside of me. Some of you are trying to get something to come to pass too quickly and if you try to make it come to pass too quickly because you're trying to twist God's arm to get it your way or manipulate this or manipulate that, you will potentially ruin the promise that's on the inside of you. So I want to encourage you today that some of us just need to wait. As I was getting ready for this morning, literally at like 8.57, I text Sean and Lucas and was like, I'm gonna try something. It could go really bad. If it does, it's fine. I'm going back to Children's Church next week. (laughs) There's a song that came through. If you have not listened to the Maverick City Elevation Church new album that just came out, I've actually not listened to the whole thing. I've heard about it a lot. I started this morning in my bathroom. Jesus entered my bathroom with me and all of the cats. Go home and listen to this album. Worship music in your house will change your home. It'll change your home. But the song came on and talks about waiting on the Lord. 
and rehearsing to yourself the promises of God, not the concerns, not the shame-filled version of what happened, not the, well, what if that happens? Don't do the hypothetical, women, you, we are real bad at that hypothetical what ifs. I, we know it because our husbands are rolling their eyes at us when we go through the 95th hypothetical situation on, well, what if this happens? And they're like, I, I don't, why are we here? We went from here and we're way over here, what, what are we doing? We need to stop rehearsing those stories and rehearse with the goodness and the faithfulness of God has done in my life, the life of the people I'm connected to, and that that goodness will be faithless today because I promise you if you raise your children in homes where you only speak the problem, where it's just chaos and confusion and your kids will just innately do that in their own lives. They'll be uncomfortable in the calm They will feel weird in calm weathers. But if you will teach your kids how to pray, don't sit them down and make him sit beside you. My dad would make Nick and I come to this building, well, and the other building, at six o'clock in the morning on Friday mornings. Ain't no kid wanna go to prayer service at six o'clock in the morning on Friday mornings, not not one of them. We did because we got to go to McDonald's and we were poor enough, McDonald's was a treat. Dad never made me march around the room with him and pray. I normally fell asleep on a back row somewhere. But I listened to my dad pray the Lord's Prayer before he ever put a robe on. He prayed the Lord's Prayer over us. He would pray a prayer on the way to school that you'd be the head and not the tail, above and not below, blessed going in and blessed going out. I recited it back to the kids and Avery goes, oh, my dad prays that too. I was like, we were raised in the same house, Avery. (laughs) Pray over your kids. Speak the word over your kids. When they screw up, don't beat them up and criticize them. Speak the word of God over their lips. Make sure they hear it, that they would taste and see and know that God is good even when it does not look good. So this morning I wanna invite you. I feel like the greatest gift that any mother would want is could you just relax Take a big, deep breath. You don't want to go home anyways. I don't care what he's made for plans. You're going to clean up a mess. <laughs> Sean asked me what I want for lunch. I said I want to not cook nor clean it up. That, that's, that's what I want. I actually don't care if anyone eats. Let me tell you, husbands, we don't even care if you eat. You take the kids, go feed them, I'm going home. That's actually a beautiful Mother's Day luncheon, in my opinion. Don't take me out in public with these people? God. <laughs> do that but you might as well where else do you need to be today than to just stand sit in the presence of God and wait on him let him remind you of the good good things that he has spoken into your life let him remind you of the promises he gave you when you were a 12 year old little girl dreaming about what it would be like to be a mom and a wife Let God re-energize, breathe new life into. So as we stand today, we're gonna come to the table as we always come. We don't come to the table because we're just trying to um, fill a piece of time. 
we're not coming to the table because we didn't think there was anything. This was like the best idea we had in the service. We come because we need to remember what God did for us. That is our story, church. Do you want to know when you need to remind yourself what your story is? Go find, go into your pantry, get a cracker, and I don't care what, whatever you have to drink. We did it in children's church. My kids used um, graham crackers and chocolate milk. Just stand there and say, God, I remember that you died on the cross for me. That everything that has held me down and kept me bound, the stories I've told myself that are filled with shame and guilt and mistakes, that Father, you said that you defeated death, hell, and the grave, and that shame and guilt have no hold on my life anymore. So Father, I stand here today and I lift up my hands and I thank you for the gift of your son that was given through Mary, that Father, I could actually have access into your throne room as a child of the Most High God, and Father, I repent for the things that I have said and for the things that I have left unsaid. Father, please forgive me for my thoughts, my words, and my deeds, for all of the things, Father, that I may not be even be aware of. But Father, let my heart be broken for what breaks yours. Let my eyes see people the way you see people. Let me hear you over the noise and the distractions. So today as you come, and you remember the gift of the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus that came to redeem you, save you, and mark you, that that cannot be torn away. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers and that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time. Yeah.